Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. Here in episode number 64, we are a month into quarantine due to COVID-19, and again, we are live on Facebook discussing church essentials. Considering the changes that have specifically happened to local churches due to the pandemic, we discuss what lessons we should be learning, what changes will continue after the pandemic ends, and how the church model is adapting. Should we change? Should we stick to the old ways? Can we do better? And what is the big picture? Let's jump on in and join the conversation this week. Welcome, everyone, (laughs) to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast live once again, week three, day, I lost what day it is. I don't know. We're still all quarantined. I'm trolling people. I don't know. I am trolling people on my Facebook feeds and it's working. So that's great. <laughs> I mean, I'm at the point now where I'll post something and I already know what the response is going to be. And I can't wait to see the response. And I just don't respond. It's wonderful. So I don't know. The, the definition of a troll. Plus, you live under a bridge, so. (laughs) I don't know, guys. We're in week three of quarantine. I'm starting to go. How are you holding up? (laughs) I don't know. What you guys ever see um, of uh, Jumanji, the first one with Robert Williams? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know when he comes out of Jumanji for the first time and he's like, what year year is it? That's me every morning. I'm like, what year is it? What day is it? Where am I? (laughs) You know it's pronounced Jumanji, right? All right, whatever, whatever, Jordan. I was homeschooled. Okay, this is why so you don't homeschool I. your kids. I was homeschooled longer than you were. To be fair, were you? That's why I'm an introvert. No, that's not why. <laughs> How long were you homeschooled for? I was homeschooled through tenth grade. Oh, okay. I only yeah. went to UCA for two years. Wow. You went? Did you go all four? No, I went from tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, so three. Years. Okay, so only one year longer. Yeah, not much. Oh. You're just so anyway. slightly more socially adjusted than I am. Slightly more. Slightly more. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Even sure. Even though that was 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm not sure what um yeah. Yeah. Most people don't ever believe that I was I was actually homeschooled, but is what it is. So all right. Well, um, Robin Jordan, um, this is your topic. So excuse me, I don't want to interrupt here. But um yeah. might be a good topic for tonight, given the recent well, it's not recent anymore, is it? This I don't know. Uh, really quick side note. I feel like this coronavirus thing, I can't remember life before it. Like, what was life like <laughs> before true. this? Well, it's like when you like when you get really sick or something, or if you have a bad stomach bug and you just can't remember not being sick. You ever get that? Yes. It's like something like, about traumatic circumstances. How was I uh, ever uh, hungry for real food? <laughs> yeah. Right. And then when you're like you're all better, you're like, how can I ever not eat all this food? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Something anyway, like ahead. that. Go ahead, Jordan. Kick us so, off. So, yeah. Um, well, like you said, Tim, this topic is a little bit broad, um, but we're going to try and narrow it down and ask some more specific questions that hopefully you guys and maybe some commenters will like to get in on. 
Um, but basically it came up, I was in um, my uh, church small group video chat uh, on Monday, Whoa. which we've been doing weekly, which has been cool. Um, but something that came up in our conversation that I thought it'd be cool to talk about some more is basically like, how are we, or how do you expect the church we'll narrow it down to like the Western church <laughs> or at least the church in the U S is going to change more so in a practical sense, I guess, following coronavirus. And then kind of a follow-up question to that would be, do you think it should change? Um, as far as like how we actually do church in a practical way. So that's the question. I think just to start it off, I think we're seeing the same impact on a business as we are on the local church right now, because there was a lot of businesses that also weren't prepared for 100% of their workforce to work remotely. And all of a sudden we're scrambling to get the tools together, to get everything in line, to get Microsoft Teams set up or Slack or whatever you, whatever platform you chose to use and to get that in line so that it can facilitate everyone working from home. I think the same thing is happening to a lot of local churches that maybe hadn't been on social media before, um, had a website, but maybe didn't keep up with it, had never recorded sermons or done video or anything like that. Now they are thrust into this forced alternate universe, as it were, in their minds, where well, how are we going to connect? How are we going to continue what we are doing when we're not allowed to gather together? And so I think that's, I think part of what you're, you're getting at with this question is, are the changes that we're making, are they permanent? Are they somewhat permanent? What, what will stick moving forward? Or what can we, or should we toss out when the pandemic is over? Yeah, definitely that. And then I guess the other thing is like, what are we learning about the way we do church through all of this that could possibly change how we do church in a good way? Yeah. Like um, an example, and it's just kind of one element of it is that I mentioned in, in joking before that I'm an introvert and I'm really actually not that much of an introvert. I'm kind of right in the middle. Tim would probably disagree, but that's only because he's like way extreme to the other side. <laughs> I am not, I'm not extreme, I'm okay? Know, yeah. I'm not some extreme lunatic. Yes, oh you are. Oh my gosh, says You're the right. extreme lunatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's exactly what an extreme lunatic would say. <laughs> no, but we were talking about, um, and Station and I were talking about this too, just how um, the church as it exists and, and how we do our programs as a church are very much geared toward extroverted people the way we do community on a Sunday. Don't make faces at me. <laughs> you're not, a, you're not an introvert. <laughs> you don't know these things. And that's, that's part, I, I mean, that's part of the, the problems. Record. Yeah, I know. So oh, you're, right. you're, you're, right. you're probably learning, but it's things like, it's true. yeah, it's like how we engage with people on a Sunday or even on, even in small groups and small groups are definitely a better environment. Um, but I think just the whole model that we use right now is really uh, geared towards people with certain personality types, and, and they're definitely going to get more out of it than 
someone who's introverted and is not going to actively reach out and engage with people themselves in that setting. So the question was really like, are we learning anything through this time of, you know, how to engage with people better um, when we can't engage with them in the way that we normally do? And could it change things in how we move forward? And should it change things in how we move forward? My thought, my next thought kind of after thinking about this for a little while is like, I feel like we almost have a responsibility not to go back to the way we were doing things before. Not that certain things can't be the same, but like some things I feel like have to change and we're learning things that need to change. Specifically, are you, when you were talking, I'll tell you what I was thinking was like the whole idea of you have your programs, you have your things, and there's always the announcement at the end of the service and if you'd like to get connected, please fill out this card and we'll be sure to connect with you. Well, what about the introvert that actually doesn't even want to do that? How do you reach out to that person? And is that part of what you're saying is capture that crowd that maybe doesn't even have that initiative to reach out and get connected to how can we do a better job to reach out to them and help and assist in discipling and plugging them in? Yeah, I guess so. I'm thinking maybe even more like big picture kind of thing, mm -hmm. like is a Sunday morning gathering, should that be the main, and I feel like we've talked about this before, but should that even be the primary programming, if you want to call it that, like the primary uh, expression of the local church? Because it definitely is. I feel like by and large, that's the one thing that churches you know, local ch churches, local bodies of believers have in common throughout the Western world is that we meet together on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not even a, like, there's nothing particularly biblical about that. Um, regular meeting, yes, is biblical, but it doesn't say that it has to be, you know, a huge group on a Sunday morning. It could look a lot of different ways and maybe it should look a lot of different ways. I was reminded of, you know, like Francis Tran has gone more of like the house church kind of route and smaller gatherings kind of thing. And yeah, I was guess I was just wondering your guys' thoughts on how how this circumstance we're in right now affects that conversation. And then I guess your general thoughts on like what that could look like. All right, Tim, you've made lots of faces. Come on, bring the heat. Yeah, we can't talk the whole time, Tim. Come on. Hey, this is you your gotta, show. You got to jump show. in at some point. <laughs> ah, I don't, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I haven't really thought about the question a whole lot, honestly. Mm, um, typical. I, <laughs> so the introvert thing's kind of interesting. And mm -hmm. oh, are you guys frozen? Oh, no. no. I can hear you. Keep going. You're good. Uh oh, oh! I think we lost Tim. <laughs> live streaming woes. See if we were if we were not live, we'd just hey. edit this out. You back? Oh, Am I back? Oh, he's back. You're back. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Okay, that was weird. Um. Anyway, I was just saying that I haven't really thought a ton about this question, and I am also kind of interested with like the introvert thing you you said, Jordan. In my mm. mind, and 
obviously I'm not really an introvert, so I <laughs> definitely could have the wrong perception here. Mm-hmm. But I would think that a Sunday morning big gathering is great for an introvert because they can just kind of come in and come out with no human contact and a small really setting we want them to do <laughs> no right no but i'm just saying like introverts right. don't like to be in small groups we put on the spot so i'm just thinking in my head like would an introvert would, would an introvert want to go to a small group over like a sunday morning gathering like, like as a first time kind of thing well i mean i guess what i'm saying is like i understand that not everyone is wired the same way i get that but I don't, it's a weird dilemma to be in to have maybe let, let, let's say an extreme introvert. Okay. Let's just say someone who's like really far on the introvert spectrum. Who's like, I don't like being in awkward spaces. I don't like being super outgoing in public. It's like, well, what do you want me to do with that? Like, do you not want, do you not want a church to greet you then when they walk in? Then I feel like the response is, well, this church wasn't very nice. I'm like, well, you're kind of in a hard spot now because you don't want to be greeted you don't want to be talked to, but then you think, then you might think that like the church is cold, but they're giving you what you want and you don't want to say hi first. So what are, what do you want? <laughs> like, I just feel like any gathering that is new, whenever you go anywhere for the first time, it doesn't matter if it's five people, one person, 30 people, a thousand people, it is a little awkward. You just kind of, you can't escape that as introvert or extrovert. It's awkward for me too. I don't, I don't like going to, especially a small group for the first time. It's like, what do I do? What do I say? You know, I just don't know if there's like a way to solve that like initial uncomfortable moment. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting because I don't, and maybe it's different for different people, but I definitely see circumstances where either Stacia or myself, cause I'm definitely leaning a little more introverted mm-hmm. do like, I feel like I do better in a small group kind of setting when I can like engage with people more one-on-one I think introverted people tend to be more interested in like one-on-one engagement. Hmm. Um, Maybe it's kind of overwhelming to be in like a huge setup. Yeah. I mean, I think that's partly what it is. And even in that large setting, I don't think that, you know, obviously, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable and it can be uncomfortable for anyone, even if you are super outgoing. I was thinking at one point yeah. too, like it's kind of, it's not so much like the first contact, I don't think is necessarily the problem because you can't do a whole lot about that. It's either you're going to meet these new people in a large group or you're going to meet these new people in a small group. And we kind of, you know, we have the ability to do both of those things. Um, but maybe more how we like, like the next steps after that, almost like when you're looking, when someone's looking to like take, those next steps towards becoming involved with the church community. Um, A lot of times it's very, it's like you have to, speaking as someone who's in the last few years has been to a few new churches and had to kind of deal with entering into a new community. I think a lot of times it's on you as the new person to like make a space for you in that setting. Um, and I don't know, I don't, I mean, I don't know really the answer for this, but I'm guess I'm thinking like, are there possible scenarios where the church could organize itself better to be more, I guess, I mean, I'll use the word inclusive, but it's not exactly what I'm thinking of, but more engaging for people well, I th- in that situation. Yeah. By the way, my internet's acting wacky, so if I lose you guys, I'll just come back in. 
Um, but um, I think the question is, how does an impersonal experience become personal? Like the Sunday morning gathering is oftentimes not a very like personal experience. It's a very big picture, impersonal experience. And how do you convert that moment into a personal experience? Mm -hmm. I think that like a lot of churches are like, well, we'll just be really outgoing everywhere. So we'll have like the, you know, the greeting gauntlet of people holding signs. Like we're so happy that you're here and, you know, flash your hazards if you're new for VIP (laughs) And then, you know, it's, <laughs> it's true. I mean, a lot of churches do that. And I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just, a, right. it's, I, I think it's like their answer right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. By yeah. and large. And then you have the guy on Sunday morning who's, you know, super personable. Does the announcement? We're so happy you're here. We have a gift for you. Um, nothing. None of that is bad. It, it's not bad or wrong or any, I, I think right. the intent is so great, but it, I understand how like, it just doesn't do it. <laughs> right. You're kind of like, I get you're trying I'm just not connected, yeah. right? Or uh, what I see a lot too, one more thing, I'll, I'll give, give mm-hmm. over to you, Jordan. What I see a lot of too, and this is a very big, this is a very big picture church thing. So this is not, if you guys are watching, I'm not mentioning, I'm not thinking about any specific church. I'm just saying in general, what I see a lot of too, from different churches I've been a part of, and I've seen you know, online, they kind of, a church will like give like the invitation like to receive Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And then that will happen. And then they'll say, you know, hey, if you've done that come up and talk to one of our pastors so we can give you this free Bible or text this, <laughs> text whatever Welcome to whatever. Back. Right. And it's like, okay, again, I understand what you're trying to do, right? Because you have 300 people, a thousand people, 2000 people in one space, and mm-hmm. you're trying to find like who wants more and who doesn't. Right. But it's just a very, it's a very hard conversion to go from that moment to like a really personal connection with someone who represents the church that becomes like long lasting. I think that's why the church as a whole, the, I'm sure you guys have seen the big focus has been like discipleship because they've seen, and they realize, I think too, that, okay, we spent like 30 or 40 years in like this like mega church movement that just put so much emphasis on just a Sunday morning gathering. But now we have all these Christians who signed a card on a Sunday. We have data to say that like, you know, what's the stat Jordan, like three out of four, Americans that say at some point they've like either prayed or prayer or like have been yeah. to youth group or something like that, you know, but obviously our culture doesn't reflect that as a whole, right? Like that, like that, right. that belief system isn't, hasn't changed the lifestyle um, nearly as much as, as that ratio has. So I think it's good that the church is trying to, you know, um, change course a little bit. I'm like, okay, Sunday morning gathering is good, but we need more. And I think that's good. But right mm-hmm. now we're kind of in that weird like transition period. So there's a lot of like, we're trying, but it's not really sticking. Yeah. And I, I get what you're saying about the, like those, the efforts that some of the, maybe more so some of the bigger churches, but all churches to a certain extent are making to like show that inclusion, you know, ultra inclusive. What, what did Jerry always say? Ra- radically inclusive mm-hmm. <laughs> at a uh, 11th hour. Um, and a lot of those efforts, but they do come across sometimes I think as a little bit superficial. Oh, totally. And, and increasingly so as you attend a church longer and you're still getting that, <laughs> I think has been my experience a couple of times. Like I've been coming here for eight months and Mr. Outgoing Steve over here has introduced <laughs> himself to me 19 times, Yes, you know, for the and, first I, time. And, and asked for the me first if it was time. my first time there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the area where I'm like, it's it, the first contact, like I said, is it's, it's difficult to do much different. And I think, a lot of churches try really hard 
to be welcoming and you know well that's that's the weird thing right is i i i I don't think there's any pastor out there who would be like we don't want people to be connected like we don't want Mm -hmm. that we want them just to attend a sunday morning and go home like no one wants that of course not like every pastor is like we want people to really know jesus to really live this Mm -hmm. life to really you know uh, grow in their faith and study the word to be, and be part of our community of people and to be loved on and to love other people. Like, I think every pastor wants that, but for some, for some reason, whether it's systems we have in place or the way that we do things, there's just a big disconnect over like what we know we want and are trying to do and the actual fruit of that. Mm-hmm. There's just a big disconnect. It's huge. Is, is part of the problem, just a numbers game where the larger the larger that gathering the more difficult it's going to be when you're when you know we'll take your example jordan when um announcer steve comes up to you and you are just one of 150 people that he's saying the same thing to over and over even though he genuinely means what he's saying it's impossible to remember 150 people week after week after week after Mm -hmm. week um and it really is that that numbers game when when is a church when is a local church too big and i think it's the answer maybe what we're discovering is when that happens hmm. when there's a loss of personal touch um when somebody new walks in the door and you don't recognize it yeah i will say i mean i think it's possible and obviously you you can't get everyone in your church on the same level but right. I had an experience, I don't know, probably eight or 10 years ago, where I had spent maybe like six or eight weeks living with my brother, actually here in Kentucky, and had gone to church with him and met the pastor. He was actually gone on like um, his like month off kind of thing. Most of the time I was there, I probably met him two or three times. And I had come back to visit probably two years later after I had lived there and he remembered my name and like came up and said hi to me. And this is a church, mind you, that has, you know, six, 8,000 people. Like it's, it's your definition of a mega church, Southern mega church, not huge, huge, but that's a lot of people. That's a lot. And I've, that was just an experience that kind of impressed me in that. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, because you can't always, replicate that amongst a whole group of people um if that's even really what you're looking for i think you you might have hit something a little bit rob in just that question and it's worth thinking about i think that is it possible for a church to get too big you know to to effectively engage well with the people I think that comes down to a lot of things. I mean, think about like Church of the Highlands. I think they're the nation's largest church or one of them. They have like, I think close to 20,000 people who attend, but they have more people, at least this is what they say. They have more people in small groups than they have attending Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. They have like, I think 20,000 attend Sunday morning. They have like 30,000 in small groups or something like that. So I definitely think that it's more difficult to, uh, have a healthy church that's really really large i think overall as we've seen jordan mm-hmm. um right um and i but it's also not impossible and you definitely can have a very large church network 
whether it's a multi-campus site or, or wherever that does have healthy structure in place that does take care of people. Um, so I think that's one side of it. Um, I think the other side though, too, is that what are the expectations that we have of like a lead lead pastor, right? Like if, 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 if our church model in America for better or for worse is the CEO pastor type, right? Which even that it's a whole different discussion. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really, I don't really think that's a really healthy model personally, but let's just say that's what it is, right? It's usually one senior pastor, then like an executive pastor, then like a couple of associate pastors, then they give a staff accountants, this person, that person. Well, <laughs> we're kind of like wired to think that like the pastors, the pastoral staff, right. is is just designed to meet every need that I possibly have whenever I need a need filled, whether that's, you know, I have a problem or, you know, my, someone I'm close to is passing away or like whatever. Um, we put that right on them. And I think, and I don't think this is all the pastoral, the, the pastoral leadership team's fault, but I think they kind of feed into that. You know, it's like, Hey, we're your shepherd. We're going to take care of you as opposed to a pastoral staff, maybe developing other pastors who are in their church who have the gift of pastoring to pastor people. I think that's probably a big missing link that we're kind of wired in the States and probably nation uh, internationally to assume that a pastor is someone who like is ordained by their denomination that has the title pastor, but the role of pastor like, to actually shepherd someone, the heart of a pastor is obviously just one of the five gifts that we see in Ephesians that is mm-hmm. distributed to the body. And it's kind of like that leadership team, again, in my opinion, that leadership team's role is to cultivate those gifts in the laity so that way the laity takes care of the laity, <laughs> so to speak. That way it's not just one senior pastor who is is uh, in char- is overseeing and also responsible for the emotional health of like 200 people. And that's why I think that's part of why we see these really crazy stories of pastoral burnout because they're, they're so much is on their shoulders. But instead, it's looking at who's in my congregation who has the, this gift of teaching or pastoring or whatever um, of uh, evangelism and then equipping them to do the work of the ministry. So I think that, that that's a big disconnect, but there's a lot of things tied into that, right? I mean, yeah. there's this perception of to be in ministry means you're getting paid by the church to do it. There's a perception that um, a pastor uh, is also a CEO, also a manager, also a counselor, also the teacher every Sunday. And I think we've all have met people, we've all met pastors who are not great teachers, but great pastors, or met great pastors who are great teachers, but not great Mm. pastors. And I think that we have to be willing to just have that conversation of like, hey, I know maybe I'm a good teacher, but maybe I'm not a great pastor, but so-and-so is a great pastor. (laughs) So I should be working with him to help pastor people. Yeah, we... It's, it's almost like we we use the terminology, oh, we're, we're the local body of Christ. But we actually set it up as if we're the entire body, head included. And the pastor is the head. He's controlling this whole little thing. Mm-hmm. And we've forgotten that, no, 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 we are not the head. There is only one head of the local church, and that's Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we're putting anyone else in his position, they're going to get burned out because no one can do the work that he does. But in your, in your, even what you were describing, Tim, I 100% agree. There should be a group of elders or leaders that are developing the gifts of the body. And so there, we should be recognizing, oh, this person is a hand. Let's build up his spiritual gift in 
uh, mercy or in helps. Oh, this person is definitely a teacher. Let's build up his gift in teaching. This person is definitely has the heart of a pastor. Let's build that gift up. And there should be a building of the entire body of all of our gifts. And too often, I feel like we look at one person's gift and say, oh, that that is, he's the one that's gifted. And we're just going to concentrate and lean on him for everything. But it's like, yeah, he may be a good teacher. But that does not mean he has all the other gifts that are required or listed in the in the scriptures. We right. should look at our own selves and be able to maybe see where the spirit is leading us and what gifts have been given to us. And that leadership team should be helping us to develop those gifts as well. Well, think about it like this. I mean, if let's just take let's say you're, you're a, a church of 500 people and there are, you know, there's a lead pastor, senior pastor, executive pastor, whatever. There's probably out of the 500, at least I would say between five to 15 other people minimum that have a, a heart and a gift of pastoring. Yeah. Now maybe they don't need to get paid to do it full time. Right. And I'm not, we're not, we're not talking about, about entering the ministry, which even that is such a <laughs> wacky way to describe, you yeah. know, who, who would anyone thought, be getting paid full time? Uh, but no, but I mean, who, I mean, just really, who would think that to say I'm in ministry means I'm getting paid. It's crazy, but it is what it is. So, you know, my point, though, is that in same thing with, with teaching the same thing with uh, evangelism and uh, whatever else, you know, is there's probably in prophecy and apostleship, there's probably five or 10 people minimum of each of those gifts in your church that probably can help you take the burden off of your shoulders and maybe teach mm -hmm. once in a while or help pastor or help, you know, uh, evangel uh, evangelize, et cetera. Um, but I think that I don't, I don't know where the roadblock, uh, the mental block is, but I think that we, we're just kind of conditioned to think, well, this person is ordained or this person has a degree. Therefore, this person must be by default more qualified to yeah. teach. Now that could be very true, by the way, let me just say, I think we've had enough conversations, Jordan and Rob, of like, there's a lot of people out there with weird theology. Mm. And I think it's important that if someone is going to teach, obviously they, they study and are, you know, well-versed in the scripture, but that gifting can be applied to people who aren't just full-time um, staff members of a church who are paid by the tithe that could be distributed to other people and other, and also in other ways, not just Sunday morning, right. In small group and in other ways of doing that. So I think it definitely can be a wider thing. Um, and that maybe could be, I'm not sure if, if that, if, if this scenario now of coronavirus is going to change what we're talking about, mm. but um, yeah, so that's going to bring it a full circle, but just some thoughts on that. Yeah. I was starting to like where our conversation was going. I was like, this is less and less to do with uh, <laughs> coronavirus and where we're going now. Which well, is can, I add, can I add one more thing into this? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if, for you guys watching, Rob, Jordan, and I were a part of um, this like, I hate to even use the word small group, this community, I'll call it, called 11th Hour. Um, it was a long, probably now at least 10 years ago or more. Um, and it was this really unique just thing that was happening with, I have, what, about 40 people or so, maybe 45 people. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of became this, like, little community of believers, kind of close to, like, the Acts model of kind of, you know, sharing a lot of our things in common and doing life together. We were all you know, in our early twenties, late teen years. So we had this perfect balance of a lot of free time and a lot of freedom. And we yeah. were able to just to, to be together all the time. But I said that because we, 
we were able to practice this like leadership team idea where you had a team of five or six people. And sometimes you rotate it in and out of being on this leadership team that kind of directed the whole ship together. It wasn't so much one person was in charge of the team. It was really a pretty equal people had equal say, you know, yeah. and I will say it has to be the right team, which I think has to be a God thing. But if you have that right team, it's actually really amazing what you can accomplish and also how much more unified you feel because you know that you're completely in alignment with that team. Um, and it was very cool, especially I think now, you know, Robin Jordan, looking back, being able to kind of see that all of us had different giftings that contributed to that team of like apostleship or evangelism or pastor, uh, pastor, uh, pastoralship. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, teaching, et cetera. And people, it was really cool being able to see us be able to practice those gifts and then have people who weren't on that team also be able to practice those gifts by either leading a night or whatever, you know, if people wanted to start a Bible study. We'd say, great, like, just go for it. We, we empower you, you know? And I think that, the, yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. I was gonna go somewhere else. So you're good. That's it. I, I was just thinking you kind of hit what I've been like trying to think of the word for. And I think empowerment is really important. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm referring to back to where I was saying like kind of that next step. You know, I've been here six months, a year in this community. Um, and it's like needing to feel like you're empowered to be a part of that community. Um, to sort of have ownership of things in that community. And I think 11th hour was actually a really good example of that, especially, um, you know, I, I, I'll say like in the second half of me being there, which was maybe slightly after we had the bigger leadership team, uh, because it got opened up really big for everyone to, that was attending even to sort of be part of the leadership of what was going on. Um, and that made for a little bit different dynamic um, but it definitely, I think, was a season of everyone there feeling like, you know, if I have something on my heart to, to as an aspect of ministry, then these people here are going to support me in doing that. And, you know, not just say, all right, you do that, but going to be like, okay, when are you doing that? Because I'm going to come <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Yes, um, yes. But I think, uh, yeah, I think that empowerment piece is key well the the caveat to that that we did at 11th hour which i think is so man i wish i hope i hope one day every church grasps this because it's so powerful <laughs> is this idea of like what is the ministry of your church and what is someone's personal ministry mm. and realizing that that they're not always overlapping that's totally okay right like i remember yeah. You know, part of that leadership thing was people coming we should do this we should do that we should do this we should have this ministry and then we right. got to a point where we said guys listen 11th hour is going to guarantee these like three or four things. You know, we do, we, we, we meet on Sunday nights. We do guys night. There's a girls thing and that's it. Anything else you guys want to do is your personal ministry. And we totally bless you, but do not expect, you know, 11th hour to make it like an official thing. That's officially on the docket. That's another ministry because right. it, it, it doesn't need to be. And I think I, you know, a lot of churches struggle with like, you know, so-and-so comes up to them. Oh, I have this desire for this ministry. And then, okay, let's do it. And then, well, if that person has a ministry, I want a ministry. Okay, mm -hmm. let's do it. And now the church has like 45,000 ministries and they can't manage them because the people who started them fell off. You know, that's right. very different than, hey, you know, so-and-so, you want to help feed the homeless in Camden. We really support you. We, we are behind you 100%. 
that's not our mission right now as a church because we're doing these other things that we're facilitating but right. we bless you and here are people you can call and if you even need like some food we'll help donate but this is like you know this is there's a line between what this church is doing what their ministry is and what the like laity and like the congregation's individual ministries are right and i think part of that is the local church should be both before we're empowering, I think we should be equipping. And that goes back to what we stated before of developing gift, teaching the word of God, um, developing people with good sound doctrine and mature in the faith so that then when they have these burdens placed on their heart, that they are that now, okay, now we're going to empower you to go and do those things. Yeah, it I, I agree 100% Tim that not everything that every person in your local church has a burden about is a burden that's shared by the entire church, nor should it have to be, but it could, it very well should be empowered by it. And there will be others that will come out and assist you in whatever it is. Oh, you want to do a little girl's Bible study to talk about purity. The local church should empower you to do that, but it doesn't mean, Oh, we're setting up a ministry and it's on our webpage that's and, right. that's um, right make sure you go and check our calendar for updates. It, it's fine. It's your ministry. We're just equipping you and empowering you to do it. And I think the other thing that can happen if you don't look at this the right way is that a lot of people can have something that they think is a good idea or even that they have a heart for maybe and bring it to church leadership and then expect that to kind of them to take it, you know, and, and right. for it to become a thing. And it's almost like, well, no, I, I don't want to do that. I just want that to be a thing. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to run, you know, this addiction recovery ministry. I just want us to have an addiction recovery ministry. And maybe right. not everyone's qualified to do that. That was maybe a bad example. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you also, but yeah. when you do that, when you just absorb ministries in the church, you rob people of actually running something or owning something. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. great. Well, we'll, 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 it'll be a church thing now. Now the expectation is, oh, the church will promote it. They're going to mm -hmm. fund it. They're going to get people out to it. And now it's not, all, it's not on that person. You know what I mean? And so right. I think you're right. Like you rob people of the chance to fail, frankly. Like, hey, maybe... Little Susie starts her Bible study and it, it stinks. Yeah. It and fails. that's the thing, the thing about okay. 11th hour too, was that there were a lot of things that were started <laughs> and it happened once <laughs> and then yeah. did not happen again after yeah. that. Yeah. Not because they were terrible or because nobody came necessarily, but right. You know, so here's a question I have, Rob, that you kind of touched on, you know, you mentioned like the equipping and like, you know, um, yeah, just equipping believers. How does a church, equip believers other than the Sunday morning sermon. And the reason why I say that is because for people, I'm going to use myself as an example, who have grown up in church for 31 years, I'm almost sermoned out. Not to mention, the sermon is a very Protestant thing in the church history. Not saying it's wrong or bad, that's not the point. But like we, the, the Protestants use the sermon as like how... A lot of other, you know, uh, uh, streams of Christianity see the Eucharist as like so essential that if that doesn't happen, like something is wrong, you know. And so I'm wondering, like, are there other ways to equip people than just preaching at them? Because, because I can see a pastor saying, well, we are equipping people like we preach every Sunday. And I just wonder, like, is that what we mean by equip? Is it always just preaching a three point sermon and like that's good enough? 
So I feel like you're just setting up a tee ball for me, and I'm just going to hit this home run. <laughs> well, or you're going to swing and miss. Let's let, let's see. It could be it could be both. Either will be Either good for way. the podcast. <laughs> um, I can only speak on personal experience that the churches that I've been associated with that is not the model. The model, yeah. So during our Sunday morning service is members basically members only doing the communion the breaking of bread it's for the believers of that local church there may or may not be a sermon afterwards it's never planned it's if somebody has a word they'll give it where the i would say the bulk of our teaching discipling came from was um, two places bible study so we had regular bible studies on sunday afternoon it was adult bible class during the sunday school um, we had a Wednesday night Bible study, and then I could speak from personal experience. I had very good relationships with our elders. I lived with my uncle, who was one of the elders. And I could tell you a lot of my learning and equipping and empowering happened in my uncle's basement late at night, talking about all sorts of things, doctrine, practical life. And I think those are the areas where the real equipping and discipleship happens. Not, yeah, the sermon, the sermons are great. And you can get, you know, your three point, five point, seven point, whatever, uh, however many points you need. But that isn't where equipping really happens. I think equipping really happens when we get down to the nitty gritty discipleship, the one-on-ones, the elder taking in the younger um, whether it's a male elder or, um, uh, like I believe it's Timothy Female that would say, elder. yeah, the, the Timothy that would say the older women teaching the younger women, e- either way. Um, that's, I think that's where the real equipping happens. Hmm. So I think that's a big, I think right now in the church culture we're in, most people would say the equipping happens on Sunday morning during the sermon. The problem is that most people don't retain most of that information. They just don't. Yeah. Second, and then secondly, too, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too critical because I spent a lot of my early twenties being critical, and it got me nowhere. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just, it just seems like, you know, that what's that saying of like, if you do three uh, something um, three times in a row, expecting different results, but you get the same results, it's like the definition of insanity. You know what I mean? Right. I kind of feel like we have that problem where it's like yeah we just keep preaching these three-point sermons and like people just like still don't get it like they're still living their life however they want it's like well maybe like we're maybe that should tell us something and again i i'm not what i'm not saying is that we shouldn't preach the word or dive into the word of course not but there just seems to be this like you know the sermon cannot be touched it is just like it's a holy like god-ordained bible thing that we see all throughout scripture of the sermon i'm like well i agree that like that like obviously scriptures are always being read and you know we we hear about that all the time but i don't know if it's always a three-point sermon of how it applies to your life and all the letters have to line up with the same (laughs) it's still an acronym and like you know it's all about you ultimately like i'm not sure if 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 that's the point of the sermon (laughs) but you know I, i do wonder like if that's how we're defining equipping and then the statistic whatever is you know most churches have way more attenders and volunteers or people who are, who are actively involved 
then like I wonder if we should rethink <laughs> how we do this Sunday morning expression. <laughs> I mean, if, if if people are conditioned in our culture to think that church is going to a church a church building on a Sunday morning and sitting through an hour long service. I don't know whose fault that is, right? Like, is it, is that our fault for doing that? Or is it their fault for always expecting that and not taking advantage of the many other ministries that, that the church has outside of Sunday morning, which they'll announce whether it's a small group or this ministry or that ministry or youth group. So I'm like, is that our fault or is that like people's fault? I, I don't know which one comes first. I think this brings it, the conversation around a little bit to where we started <laughs> and <laughs> and how this situation we're in right now could be changing things. Because I think in some ways, at least, it's forcing that equipping to be done differently. And yeah, I know there's still pastors out there who are you know, giving sermons from the living room and there's nothing wrong with that um, on Facebook Live. Um, but I think for there to be any community in a church right now, like these things are having to happen one-on-one, -on -one, in smaller groups, you know, through video chat kind of things. And I guess what my original thought was, is like, I guess I, I really hope that the things that we're being forced into now that are good, that I think are good for the church will continue after we don't, we're not being forced to do this anymore. You know, if we just, if we stop the smaller engagement that we're being forced to do now and just go back to, all right, we're doing our Sunday mornings again. Um, I feel like we're wasting an opportunity, I guess, as a community, as the church at large to address a problem that we've had that's been ongoing. And this, the whole thing that we've been talking about the whole time, I think, has really been the issue. And we have an opportunity, I think, to address the issue. And I really hope that we do, I guess. I just don't know, though. And I, first off, I'm with you, Jordan. I, I hear you. So I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. But what I struggle with is I don't know what church doesn't have other things happening during the week. Does that make sense? Like, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think any, any, any modern church... 95% of all churches probably have small groups that are happening or have a Bible study or this thing or that thing. So I'm wondering, like, is, is this changing because people are kind of forced to like look for community elsewhere because they can't get it at like the bar or at their friend's house or whatever their, their normal hobbies are? Or is this more of like, oh, look, like the church has adapted and now the church is offering ways to connect in more intimate ways. I, I tend to think it's the former more than the latter, because I've seen small groups be part of churches, you know, ministry and announcements and whatever for probably over, over a decade now, you know, or more. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I've been thinking about that this whole time too. But I, I have to say that I think, I don't know that our, ex, our experience with that has been different than the majority of people. I'm thinking of like, there's massive churches out there that I have heard about in passing who don't do as well with the smaller community as some of the experience I've had in my life. Um, and there are big churches out there that do, like you mentioned, uh, Highlands, Church of the Highlands, Church of the Highlands, yeah, who do small groups really well and make that a priority, and they see great 
things coming from that, I feel like. And I feel like that's maybe what it is, is not that it's not happening at all. And maybe even a lot of churches are attempting it. And I, and that may be part of the problem too, is that there's a lot of churches who are attempting it. You know, they, they maybe have small groups or offer small groups, but it's more of an afterthought. It's more because they heard this other church was doing it and it was working well for them. I'm almost, I almost feel like, like when we're talking about the ability to equip people and disciple people and back to what you were saying, Tim, that almost, I don't feel like that really can happen on a Sunday morning. It's just, it's not the place for it almost, you know? So yes. So what's um, our priority, I guess, as I'm saying is, is the Sunday morning, should it be our priority or should the smaller settings be our priority okay let me dream for a second with you guys all right <laughs> do it go let's just let's, let me just throw out like a vision <laughs> tim cast and vision oh here we go so <laughs> when i was spent i spent a month you guys know in belgium this is a long time ago working with a church called the well and this was like the first time in my life where i experienced church being done so different it was very uncomfortable in the beginning. They they met in bars around the city. I'm like, oh <laughs> man, I, I don't know if I can do that. Like it's a bar, you know. Um, but what they did, and I kind of think this is maybe at minimum, <laughs> uh, at minimum a good transition, like way to start transitioning. If not, maybe just a good way of doing church going forward for a long time. So they would have smaller groups meet throughout the the um, month on every Sunday morning all around the city of Brussels, Belgium, all right? And then I think once a quarter, they had an all-church, like, Sunday morning meeting where they were just, like, a big event of, like, they rented out, a, a, like, a, a hall. They had, you know, a big band do worship, you know, a kind of a, a big, big picture message and then they broke up into small groups and like around like, like the coffee tables and discussed the message and then after the next that, that next sunday you're back at like your local expression of the well you know at someone's house and i was thinking i'm like you know i do like this idea a lot of you're fed in like this small community but you're attached to a much bigger thing that meets whether it's a, whether that's the sunday morning expression is like okay you know church of the highlands we have 30,000 people meeting every week on Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. And every Sunday is the big meeting of the whole church coming together, worshiping, you know, uh, the, 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 the message is more geared towards the big picture of where we're headed as a church, what we think God's mm -hmm. speaking to us. And then we'll see, you know, back on Monday, you're back with like your small group leader and he's pastoring you and you're getting fed there, you know? So I like this idea of like this hybrid where you don't lose out on, some of like that big picture, bigger event style Sunday morning, but you also are, you have this foundation now of not just fluff, but you have like real foundation that's happening, whether it's once a month, you guys do this or whatever, once a week of real rea uh, life and, and being pastored and also being able to pastor, right? Giving and receiving from uh, the gifts that are happening during the week. So I, I think that's a good direction that I think more and more churches want to head in is this place where like, Yes, our foundation are these smaller groups that are well-equipped with the right people, but then we have these like celebratory meetings, call it a Sunday morning service or whatever, where like we kind of go all out. It's yeah, it is a little more a little more production based, it's a little more, you know, a little more resonate have style. You, gotta so have to your speak. smoke machines, Tim. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like resonate. 
like resonate exactly <laughs> yes the holy haze but i mean I, I think for me the reason why i say that is because i really do enjoy like i do enjoy the tech side i do enjoy the music side i enjoy the worship and i think honestly like in a lot of ways it's just another way to of uh it's another expression of worship to god you know so i don't think that stuff is wrong as you know i've, I've changed a lot from that personally <laughs> from where i was a couple of years ago but i'm kind of on the other side of it now but i still definitely crave like the real relationships i i crave the real deep discussions i i crave the theological stuff and sunday morning you just don't get that because it's not designed for that because it can't how do you how do you have deep theological discussions with a thousand people on a sunday morning you can't right you know yeah. you have to find a way to do it yeah i think there's something to be said too when you're talking about smaller groups there's something to be said for like proximity to each other like people that live in a smaller area totally and, I, and and was that something that the well was based around too was more like people that lived in a specific neighborhood or area somewhat maybe yes not, not it was that except for the youth group the youth group they actually were able to run run it themselves like the, the people who were in charge were all the youth i'm like that is so cool <laughs> I, I well like, i think it was good because it gave the it gave them a chance to lead something mm -hmm. like you imagine of the swat team in jordan from high school mm -hmm. you know like when when you put high schoolers in charge of course there's oversight but when they get to make decisions and get to see the the mm -hmm. weight of that decision it really develops you as a leader yeah yeah i was just thinking like new testament church like they were always based around where they lived because there wasn't the ability to travel very far. <laughs> and I think maybe we've lost a little bit of something. We've lost an element of that, like life together kind of deal that now that we have the ability to travel, you know, 40, 30, 40 miles in 20, yeah. 30 minutes on, you know, whenever we feel like it and except for right now, cause we can't travel at all. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But I think there's something to be said for like people who live to like in a smaller, closer area and being able to do life together more that way. So it's not just the events that we attend yes. together. It's, you know, they're my neighbor, <laughs> yeah, literally. I, th <laughs> I think it's, I think it was the Undeceptions podcast. Um, I think there's one on like social capital or something that I was listening to. I this is all just like coming back to me as you're saying this of the touch points and how many times you see somebody between your work and your church and your school and like the, your, the communal aspect of it. And I think the guy he had on there was actually an atheist, but was very pro community that religion offered and why they worked so well was this exact point of community because especially the smaller ones where they were running into people more often and it just mm. built a strong community because they were meeting with each other on their way to do something else or they were um and and the closer you were the easier it was to build that strong sense of community and he was a huge proponent of of that because it's part of it's it it really is ingrained in our human nature we yes. we desire community i think tim something that you touched on a little while ago of is it it is is it so much that um people are desiring those smaller communities or that they're just not finding them in other places like the bars and um work and and everything else i think it is a little bit of both 
but yeah. we are designed for that community aspect but the church should be the prime source i think for that and that's what we see in the acts model well it's also tough so right so there's there's a lot of layers to this onion because you're right like okay you have in life people that you're just naturally friends with and people that are kind of overlapping like your passions or like your work right people that maybe you wouldn't say are friends but you work with them but you see them a lot more than your actual friends you know what i mean and i feel like with church it can kind of be that way where it's like okay here's a small group you have to go to it's it's uh here it's in this area and you go and you're like yeah but like my friends are over here or they don't go to this church or like people that like that have known me for 15 plus years live you know in kentucky and north carolina <laughs> sorry sorry i lost track there, but, uh no but you get my point right where it's like i think you have to it's so weird because you're absolutely you're absolutely right rob we are so human beings are wired for community there's just no way around it call it whatever you want i don't care but that's just how it's in our dna we are communal creatures right that's why i think so many of us mainly me are going nuts like being quarantined because you you just miss that human connection for sure um and the church has the ability to fill that for sure but only if people understand like that's one of the roles of the church again if you're conditioned to think that church is a sunday morning service you go to you slip in you say your prayers you worship a little bit you listen to a good word and then you go home you're you're missing out on like 70 to 80 percent of what the church is designed to do because you know the church obviously is meant to be an organization of people focused on doing something for you know either worshiping or loving their neighbor but i do think it is tough when it's like i don't know it, it's i call it like the, the the church friend zone you know like your church <laughs> friends like your actual friends and it's i don't know why it's hard to break that for some people it's hard for me sometimes like it's hard for me to make really close deep friendships at my local church and i don't know why that is maybe it's because i met them at a later time in my life and my other friendships that are like lifelong friendships are already established i don't know if it's just you have less time to hang out with people organically because you have you know different responsibilities now that we're older but um but i will say this if it comes down to community with people and like people knowing me and i know people or it's a big fancy resonate style event i'm going to take the community every time like that's way more important than the show of a sunday morning um so i think that's that's probably something you're hitting on rob is like when when most churches see sunday morning as like we're 80 percent of their time and resources and like thought goes and like maybe 20 percent go into other stuff or whatever it is you know, 70, 30, it shows, right? Because you might have a church that has this great Sunday morning thing with all their volunteers and their signs and they're shaking hands. And, you know, it's a real polished service. Kissing babies. Yeah. Kissing babies. <laughs> you know, it's a real polished service, but then you want to hang out with someone and then like everyone's too busy. Like, okay, this is like a, they're busy planning the next Sunday service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I think if we learned anything from 11th hour, the way to make really good long lasting friends is don't have a job. Yeah. Spend all your time together. Yeah. And what, what else? And Playing Mario Kart for a week. Mario Kart. <laughs> but be careful because yeah. it could get out of hand. <laughs> that, 
that was like Dude. one of my one of my oh big my gripes about 11th hour was like i was one of the few people in that stage that had a full-time engineering job <laughs> and i was just like how are you guys doing this all of the time like Dude, I got- <laughs> no lie at one point I worked 15 hours a week at Starbucks, like 5.30 to 10 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I would just stay in that area. I would crash at Joe's house. And I'd be mm-hmm. like, all right, it's 10.30. Who wants to hang out all day? That's what I would do. I, I didn't have any job for probably six months in, like, one of those key periods of time. And I don't know what – I don't know how I was, like, even driving to meet you guys anywhere. I know. Like, how did thank I have God money? For, uh, thank God for – half price wings at pjs and <laughs> yeah yeah but and yeah comic I mean, books at the bookstore <laughs> yeah but i mean all, all i have to say um it it is I, one other reason i think it's easier to build a sunday morning event is because it's it's easier like it's easy to plan a system and to find people to fill that system. not as organic it, it's harder to put work in like to develop relationships with people that maybe you don't even like naturally i mean think about that there you're gonna meet people in a church that you just like don't have anything in common with maybe they kind of annoy you and like guess what (laughs) your calling is to love this person well yeah i mean that's the calling right and so it's not convenient i mean community is not always convenient it's not always you know rainbows and butterflies it's not always painless there is there is an element of there's that risk right but uh well there's that risk of hurt but i think when you're building a sunday morning event it minimizes a lot of that like oh let's just make this bigger and make this fancier and have someone shake more hands like i can do that that's a lot easier to figure out than to figure out how to make people connect and that's hard to do and discipleship is super difficult because discipleship is messy discipleship is i'm gonna call out the wrong that is in your life and we're gonna fix it together that is very difficult to do. Very. Um, and it's and like you said, Tim, that's a great point is you're going to have to do it with people that inherently and naturally you do not like. And it's going to be super uncomfortable. But the more that we do it, I think the easier I, I say this lightly, but the easier it gets because you you start to understand, you start to develop that heart of a disciple maker and what it what it feels like and what you what the intention is and you start to see potential in people but i organizing that and getting that together is way more difficult than saying let's all get together and have a big concert yeah i mean and listen it's not that it's not that you're not gonna like every single person in your church but you're gonna have that person every small every group of friends has that person okay sure the the, the thing is that sometimes they're grandfathered in like do you guys have those friends who you're like (laughs) Um, if I met you now, we would not be friends. I have several of those, but be, you know, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's me. Uh, yeah, right. Um, but like, you know, we all have those people in our life that are grandfathered in, but now I don't want to bring anyone else in. That I don't like, I'm like no, I have enough like, of those people. <laughs> maximum. The limit has been reached. Yeah. Exactly. So we'll be acquaintances I mean, only. Listen, none of this stuff is easy, and it takes a lot of small changes that add up to big changes. I don't think you could just turn Mm. it, you know, on overnight. Um, I'm a big fan of overnight change, but I've realized that most (laughs) humans are not. So I don't mind burning the church down and restarting, but apparently people (laughs) and everything have to worry about that. So uh, I can't just do that. Yeah. Um, 
we got a couple comments here. Let's see. Oh, uh, Russell Palmer. Yeah, I was gonna say no. We have Russell Palmer. <laughs> I'm gonna no someone else. Melinda. I'm gonna go. To, oh. I'm gonna go to Melinda. <laughs> All right, that's People, a good. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. It's difficult to fit in when you're single and your church caters to married couples and families. This is a good topic because I do feel like you're either a you're either a college age single in the college group. Or you're just a weird single person in church life, right? Like they right. churches don't have a, a place for. Okay, I'm not in college anymore. I'm still single. I'm like in my 30s, and I don't want to hear my pastor tell me just to go get married, dude. I was at a church service one time years ago. This is a long time ago. A different church that I don't go to now, where the pastor was like, "If you're single, just go find a spouse. Like, just go find a spouse." <laughs> I was like, "Do it." Like, Dude, you've been, you've been married way too long. <laughs> you yeah. don't remember what it was and, like. And it's a different generation. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so that's a good point, you know, but I think that does tie back a little bit to what we were talking about, where what is the church responsible for as like a church ministry versus like what is your individual responsibility as just a person? And I think it can be tough when, you know, you go, a lot of churches do have a, a lot of things that are catered towards the married couples or young yeah. married couples or whatever. And not the single people. I'll say um, real quick, Tim, though, tricky. sometimes that's just kind of what happens to a church over time is they tend to kind of like become a church that has more singles or become a church that has more married people with kids or become a church that has more elderly people. It's actually, I feel like at least maybe I'll say, maybe it's a, of a churches of a certain size. I think as you get bigger, you might find, more diversity um but it's interesting that churches in that like 100 to 200 people range often it's it's i feel like it's rare to find a church that size that's very diverse within yes. the people that are in it it tends yeah. to be and that's hard i mean that's hard to do because i feel like what you're saying the the, the things that the establishment or the leadership is going to implement as ministries in their church probably are going to always cater to the majority of people in their church. Cause that's kind of what they're Definitely. going, they're going to do that. Um, so yeah, I don't I know. I mean, like, like <laughs> attracts like, right. It's not, it's not intentional, but if I go to a church and I'm like, so like people oh, you relate to. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, that's exactly right. Is, so. is there, is there any truth as you guys are talking, is there any truth to we, we have come to church to say, um, what can this church do for me instead of what can I do for this church? Like if God has called me to, if we, if we believe that God calls us to be a part of a local body, and I believe that he does, then our view shouldn't, shouldn't be, and this isn't to downplay Melinda at any, at any point or anyone like Good her. Good caveat. <laughs> <laughs> but because I, I see this in my own heart is, well, and it goes into what you were saying, Jordan, how like people attract like people. I would love to be in a church where people are in the same exact life stage as me with kids that are between the ages of four and one, because they understand right. the struggles. And yeah, I can't just leave my teenagers at home to go hang out with some friends, because I have kids between the ages of four and one. Um, but even in that mindset, I have to correct myself to say, okay, but if God has called me here, what can I do maybe? And I think we've hit on this topic before. What can I do to help 
other people that maybe are struggling with the same thing in a different way. Um, and in the case of um, like Melinda, what can I do to, to think about other people that may be struggling in a different way to reach out to them, to meet them where they're at and to engage with them so that I don't just stick to, this is where I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable with people that are in my stage, but I should have the onus put on me. Let me reach out as well to other people that may be struggling in different ways. Yeah. That being said, I mean, it certainly is hard when you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're kind of the only person in this, either the stage of life or, you know, the single or not single kind of situation. And there's just not the people around you that you can relate to. Um, yep. That is hard. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Stuff. I don't have an but answer what, for that. But when we think about, <laughs> yeah, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I think when we think about church as a place where we're called to be, it makes that part of our personal ministry, I guess, instead of, well, I'm not getting what I need out of this church. So I'm just going to leave mm-hmm. and go somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, there's probably, there's some tension there, right? Like on yeah. the mm-hmm. side, you're absolutely right. Like we're not called to be consumers and we're not called to be like American culture, which is like, oh, if I don't like this brand, I buy this brand. Yeah. Uh, if I don't like this church, I go to this church. At right. the same time, we uh, part of why we are part of the church is because I think it does fulfill a lot of like, it can fulfill, I should say, a lot of emotional oh, for uh, sure. you know, yeah. needs, a lot of like, mm-hmm. spiritual needs, of course, a lot of even just significant needs, need for significance, right? Of, like I'm a part of something, something bigger than myself. So there's definitely that side of like, you know, I don't go just to, you know, be just to consume or just to, um, to kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but you guys, you guys know what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't go just to give and give. I also go to take right and receive and be filled up. That's part of why I attend a local body. So, yeah. um, And there is sort of that kind of situation where you can find yourself in where you're not feeling called to a particular church body. And I think it's okay in those circumstances to kind of visit different places and you know try and find a community where you either feel called or you maybe feels a little more natural that you fit into um i don't think that's a good place to be for a long period of time um but it's a viable thing to do (laughs) we got two more questions go let me can probably wrap it up because it is i think we're close to the hour mark we're, Jeffrey, we're, we're over the hour. Oh, thanks guys for hanging <laughs> in with us. Jeffrey asks, what factors should you consider if you're a new Christian and are looking for a church to attend? How do we know where we, mm. how do we know uh, where God wants us? Um, that's a great question. I probably have a different perspective maybe than most, but I'm going to go for it. Um, What's your one thing? <laughs> give us a brief i'm just kidding give us a brief <laughs> oh, if you have a longer you... explanation that's fine no I'll try, i was gonna honestly, say i'm I'll gonna try. try and come up with one thing that i'd say this is if not the most important one of the most important that i think anyway you don't have to do that go ahead and do your thing <laughs> uh, essentially what i would say is something like that is one don't overthink it as far as where god wants you okay if you're part of a a, a local church which chances are I mean, most churches out there are legitimate. They're great. Even among different theological positions, they're still Bible-believing. They love the Lord. They want to do good. So I don't think you can go to a wrong church. You know, I, I don't think God's, like, kind of waiting for you to kind of figure out where the right one is. And if you're in the wrong one, you're in sin. I don't think that that's the case. So I wouldn't worry too much about, like, 
if, if this is where God wants you. And second of all, I would say as far as to attend, I would look for a church that is active in their community and active in people's lives more than just Sunday morning. That's pretty generic, but I think it's a good start. Like, okay, this church loves their, their local community. They seem to love people really well. They, they meet consistently in small groups or other places on top of Sunday morning. Good enough. Yeah, Jordan? I would definitely agree with that. And then the other thing that I thought of that I'd put up there with that is in the teaching of a church, if you're experiencing teaching coming from a church, I think it's important how they talk about and the importance that they put on scripture. Um, because there are churches out there who will preach an entire Sunday morning and it's more of a self-help seminar than it is, you know, church teaching. And I think that has a lot to do with the role of scripture in their teaching. I, I think I would, my, my go-to would be closer to what Jordan has said would be, I'm going to look at the scriptures and say, is the church, is, is this church that I'm looking to attend? How closely does it follow what I believe the pattern that the scriptures lay out for us? And there are obviously lots of disagreement on that. So it's not my place to be the church police and tell the Baptist church, while well, you're doing this wrong and tell the Presbyterian church while well, you're doing this wrong. But it is my responsibility as one who is seeking to please God and give him glory to say, where can I best serve in a place where I feel like God is calling me to be by on the authority of scripture. And that's where I think we should place our pinnacle and under that, then I think Tim comes your point. Okay. It has some, Definitely it has, it has some doctrine, right? It has some things, right? But that's not just enough either. It also has to be equipping and has to be engaging. It has to be looking for um, how, how is it helping people and helping the community? So I think those two things go hand in hand. Um, faith without works is dead. Yeah. Church without faith is dead. Without and also a church that you can contribute to, right? And be a part of and actually yeah. give as well as yep. just receive. So, yeah. Yeah. Good so, stuff. Rob, you mentioned the church police, and I was wondering how Tim and I may apply for that job. I'm over uh, being, I'm probably too far <laughs> the opposite direction right now as far as yeah, not yeah. being, honestly, I was in church police way too long. I want Tim I'm over seven it. years ago on my team. Honestly, <laughs> just I, kidding. Come, come I'm with you. Way. No, I'm with you. <laughs> I, I, I think that's what I was trying to say is like, I, you're right, Rob. Like, obviously you don't want to be at a church that's like teaching prosperity gospel, right? Like I wouldn't yeah. recommend going to Benny Hinn's church, right? Or at the same time, I just think that I've seen enough people argue <laughs> Let's keep over listing things. people. <laughs> <laughs> I've just seen enough people make big deals out of things that, that, that there's legitimate disagreement upon and make it like, well, they're not Bible believing. And I'm like, yeah. I just, for me, I tend to shy away from that nowadays. So that might change, but all right. Last question. We can wrap it up. It's been said to me that a church, Oh, this is Russ. Just <laughs> finished. Just read it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's been said to me that a church is like family. How do you serve your family? Do you leave your family? When is it okay to leave your family? Okay. Here's what I would say. Is it cool if I go? No, you no, went no. first last time. Jordan's oh, time to turn sorry. to go first. Oh, I was just going to say that. My bad, I Rob. Know, I don't know. <laughs> it's sometimes hard to make like one-to-one -one, mm -hmm. uh, comparisons between those two things. Um, 
while a church can be like a family, I think there's times when it's not. <laughs> and I think there's times where if there's, you know, irreconcilable differences, whether that's on a personal level or a level of like, you know, how the church does things, I think there's certainly circumstances where it's okay to separate yourself from that situation. Um, and then even if you are going to look at it like a family, like there's definitely times where you are called to move away from your family. Like I, I moved across the country from my family, <laughs> then I moved across the country again and still don't live that close to most of my family. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'm still going, they're still my family and I'm still going to serve them how I can from a distance. And, you know, being in proximity doesn't necessarily or be, being a part of a family or being part of a community doesn't necessarily mean you have to be right there with them all the time as we're learning currently. I am, I am somewhat, maybe it's an unpopular opinion. Maybe it's not. I'm of the opinion that my local church family actually comes before my blood family. Boo! <laughs> Do you mean like your extended blood family or like your immediate blood family? I I would be of the opinion that it comes above immediate blood family. Like in your what, wife and children? Way. No, not my wife and children. That's that's what I meant. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, Rob, go ahead. We're listening. <laughs> no. Go yes. ahead, Rob. Okay. This is new. We found something. Okay. No, sorry. Uh, I thought you meant like mother, Julie, father, are you brother, watching? brother, sister. Okay, no. Obviously, scripture mandates that as a husband and father, that is one of my main priorities in life. Um, but I, I think we put too much emphasis on even our, our physical families um, and say, well, I can't do that. Um, I'm, I'm doing this with my, with my family at this point where we're really trying to fit our local church into our life where my opinion would be, we should be fitting our life around our local church. Um, so in answer to Russell's question, how do you serve? I think we should serve it, um, serve our local body in the same way or even above and beyond how we would serve our family. Um, and is it okay to leave your family? Yeah, obviously I would tell anyone that is in a physically, mentally, spiritually abusive um, relationship or family situation to leave that same thing with a local church if it's uh, and we know all know of um, churches in uh, our culture that have been that kind of uh, place so that's my two cents and I know a lot of that had been taken out of context now <laughs> yeah Good. Yeah. We've, we've, we've never gotten so many comments. Yeah. Good job, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's my turn to answer this question the right way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, Rob, I will say I I really used to share your perspective, especially with the 11th hour. I was like, wow, this is like family over like my blood family, you know? But what I realized is that my blood family is still in my life and 11th hour, while some people definitely are, 11th hour is not in my life anymore because it's not a thing anymore you know mm -hmm. i think that um as far as big picture church goes technically we're all family right i mean whether we know them or not whether they've yeah. lived before us or not whether they speak a different language or not they're they are family right they're they're kingdom family they're spiritual family 
that one day we'll be spending eternity with. So I think that's a big deal. Um, but like you said, I, I don't, first off, there, you can leave a church for several reasons. It, it doesn't have to be bad. It can be just right. because God's moving you on. That's, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, if you do leave over disagreement, just do it quietly and respectfully. There's no reason to make a fuss, you know? Um, but there, I think that sometimes, and this is not frequent, but I think it's happened. I think that some church leaders have used that against people to kind of make them feel guilty for leaving. Well, we're a family. You don't, you don't abandon your family. You're abandoning me. And that becomes almost like uh, manipulation. I think any healthy pastor leader, um, if you felt like, Hey, you know, Hey, either we're, my family and I are moving, or I just feel like it's time for me to move on just to serve somewhere else in the same kingdom. I think that's totally fine and normal. I think there's some, there's some discernment you have to use. And if you're, if your threshold is, I don't like this thing that the church does, then you're going to be disappointed everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like it doesn't matter where you, where you go, the grass is not greener. <laughs> and once you settle into a place and start seeing its flaws, you're going to move on again. So I think there's something yeah. to be said about planting somewhere. And, you know, even when you disagree, even when people hurt you sticking with it, but I think there's also moments where the Lord's clear. It's like, Hey, I'm just moving you on to somewhere else. So yeah. that, comes, that comes down to personal discernment ultimately. And I think one of the big like positive examples we see of church behavior in the New Testament is how the different churches sent people out from them too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, Tim. Um, cool guys. Well, we we are. Yeah, I don't want to erupt, but Russ did ask a follow up question. You know, should you serve multiple churches or plan at one? That's a question I think a lot of musicians, including myself, mm-hmm. have wrestled with before. Um, but yeah, we can get into that different discussion, but, um, as of now, I'm of the opinion of planting somewhere long-term. So, wow, guys, that really flew by. Woo. Yeah. Hour and 23 minutes. Wow. And we've averaged like, wow. Well guys, thanks for watching. Thank you for tuning in and hanging out with us. And we appreciate these moments of people hanging out and chiming in. So, but we love hearing Rob say that his (laughs) immediate family is low on the totem pole compared to his church family. So I can't wait to see Julia, what she has to say about that. Oh, she commented. You didn't see? (laughs) Oh, no. I saw. Enjoy that couch, Rob. (laughs) I'm going upstairs to get a beating right now. (laughs) Julia's like, I made the bed. It's on the couch downstairs. (laughs) See ya. But anyway, hey, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll probably do this again next week because we had nothing else to do with our lives but podcasts. So um, that's all I got. Have a great night. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.